Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. It is Downtown, the podcast. All right, welcome in. Episode number 214 this week. My goodness. Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell, brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A couple of KG veterans on the show this week. People have been honing their craft for a long, long time. In the second half, by the way, both of them eternally youthful as well. Second half of the show this week, entertainer John Davidson will talk with us about what's coming up this summer at his wonderful performance space in Sandwich, New Hampshire, John Davidson's Club Sandwich. Uh, John, great friend of our show, has been working up some new music, and we get to listen to some of that as well. That's later on in the podcast. But up first... Well, a guy who's been doing it since he was a kid in shows like Leave it to Beaver, My Three Sons. I don't think he's ever not been busy with television shows, uh, films like Animal House, uh, Emmy Award nominations for his role as Vice President John Hoynes in The West Wing. And for the last few years, been tearing it up as Doc Mullins in the Netflix smash series Virgin River. Season four coming to Netflix on July 20th. And we had a chance to talk about the new season and uh, some more highlights of the career, including playing a, well, a fun little game. Well, at least it was fun for us with Tim Matheson. Here's Tim on downtown. Tim, the last time we talked to you, uh, Virgin River season one had just dropped. We had seen about half the episodes. We knew it was a quality show, yeah. but man, we had no idea what a blockbuster this was going to become uh, last season. It was the most streamed content there is out there. It's amazing. Uh, we, you know, it was, it was out of the blue. We, you know, when you're doing a show that streams about six, eight months after you've finished it, you really don't have a sense. It's like the opposite of being in the theater where, you know, a clunker when, you know, when you say the line wrong or do something um, badly, they, they let you know it. Or if they like it, they let you know. So it was a tremendously wonderful surprise when we all got the news that the audience was responding. And I think that perhaps being during the pandemic as well, kind of made it a comfort food for people to find this little town that these crazy people were in and their love stories and their traumas in their lives and, and just trying to get through the day. And it was something that people really responded to. Well, now, there are a whole lot of storylines going on, and uh, obviously people are drawn to the story of Jack and, and, and Mel and, and babies and this and that. But, you know, for us uh, for us mature viewers, we're interested in finding out what happens uh, with Doc and Hope. And, man, they threw a lot of curveballs at Doc Mullins uh, last season. Oh, my God. Let's it start was... with uh, losing your vision. That's going to be a little bit of a challenge going forward. Well, you know, macular degeneration is an issue for um, many seniors. Um, my mother-in-law, Monorina um, Marghetto, is suffering from that, but she goes through her life fine. I mean, you wouldn't know it unless you spoke to her. Um, and she's one of the lucky ones, I think, you know. So it's just the shock of something like that, that the onset of something like that in your life. and making you realize how vulnerable and, and mortal we are. And uh, we don't want to acknowledge it. We're all heading sort of towards uh, a, some, you know, closure in our lives. And we want to do the best we can. 
And then there's this new doctor in town, young guy. I mean, what what kind of problems does he pose? <laughs> well, I think any anybody who's a partner to Doc Mullins is going to run head on into you know uh, a lot of lessons that he's learned and in a certain way he has of doing things. And um, in any business, you're going to have that. And, and I think um, he seems like a good enough doctor. So that's that's the important thing. <laughs> And that he doesn't get caught up in in personal feelings for other people within the, the, the confines of our office. That's that's the danger. And I, I caution him about that. We had uh, Annette O'Toole on with us a year or so ago. My God, what a what a sweet, wonderful person to talk with. And I have to imagine to work with as well. Now, last year, you weren't able to work together because of uh, COVID protocols, but, but you guys managed to pull that off very well, I thought. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks. It was, yeah, it was just challenging. And um, it, it offered my character a lot of opportunity to, to interact with people I didn't normally interact with in the show. And um, we certainly missed Annette, you know, she was in three episodes, I believe. And, um, her story came to a, um, a very sort of scary cliffhanger, you know? And so then the question now is really what's going to happen with her? Is she going to be okay? How is she going to recover from this? And, um, and, and that can, Contains a lot of what happens in, in this season. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to seeing how you manage that. Apparently traumatic brain injury for Hope and still uh, plans, I guess, for a big wedding at some point, right? Yeah, I think they want to continue through with um, following through, renewing their vows, you know. And um, I, I think that's, that's an important part, regardless of her physical condition, um, because it, you know, that could help her. I think also hope means a great deal to doc. You know, it's one of those mistakes in his life that he's trying to make up for. And we all have those. And, and this is like the second chance at making that right. You know, it's like, if I knew then what I know now, um, I would have done things different. And, um, you know, it's 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 tough to have to live with that regret. I think that's at the heart of it, you know, and he's trying to prove to her that he's a changed man. Well, and Doc got another uh, treat from his past life thrown at him, too, when he found out he had a grandson. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that that's a really interesting element. I mean, I'm a grandfather for the first time about eight months ago, and, and um, my daughter, Emma, and her husband, Hussein, had, had a baby boy named Zia, and it just, again, it puts your life in perspective, you know. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that I was a teenager, and it seems like yesterday I was doing all, this, you know, these different parts and aspects of my career started evolving. And um, I think in in Virgin River, his grandson arriving, and, and he realized he never met his son. He didn't even know he had a son. And then um, those kinds of things... It, it's it's a profound shift. And then plus the woman who ha had his child and didn't tell him, you know, I mean, it's like, again, there's a part of his life that was just not completed. We're talking with Tim Matheson here on downtown. Uh, Tim, did you direct any of the season four episodes? No, you know what? It's uh, I did one and two. I directed two episodes each season. 
Um, and then we all just sort of said, it, it's a little bit distracting at best, you know, and it's draining at, at, at worst for me to try and do both. Because what happens is while we're shooting, if I'm doing a later episode, um, I have to prep. I have to be away scouring locations and casting and, you know, having meetings with the department heads about the elements that are going together for the episode. So it, it's, it's triple duty. You're acting, you're um, prepping, you're, you're shooting, you know, it's, it, it's just so difficult that we decided, let's just try it just acting, you know, and I must say it's a great relief for me. I mean, um, I love directing, but um, directing and acting in the same project, you know, it's like, it's very demanding and draining. And I, like by the end of the season, I was like a, <laughs> a wet mop, you know, I was like, ah. Oh. Now, when do you start? Is it uh, later in the summer you start on shooting season five? Uh, yes, mid-July. That's uh, and we were talking about this yesterday on the show. One of the things that makes the show a success, obviously, terrific writing, great source material, wonderful cast. But the cinematography on this series is so beautiful. Oh yeah, you know it's it's we shoot it up in British Columbia and Vancouver, and it, it's one of the more gorgeous places on earth, and and so remote removed from a lot of the harm that's come to major cities all you know and it's right on the water it's there's trees and mountains all around and literally within 40 minutes from downtown vancouver you could go skiing in the winter time so it's you know in the summertime you go out on a sailboat you know and go whale watching and so it's it's just one of those special places and uh it's picturesque so it, it really embodies the look of what Humboldt County and, and uh, where Virgin River is set and what that's like up there. And, um, you know, actually going up there to shoot, uh, my wife and I um, are driving up and we're going to drive through Humboldt County oh, nice. on our way up. And then we're also going to stop in Eugene, Oregon, where I shot Animal House. <laughs> so it's like, this is like greatest hits here. <laughs> it's It's got to be fulfilling, though. I mean, you've done this a long time. You've been a part of some hugely successful films and television shows. But after all these years, to have a show that's doing this well, that's not just an audience favorite, but a critical favorite as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's so crazy. All the years that I was acting, I, you know, from television in my early years to feature films to television movies then the west wing and i never wasn't a regular on the west wing i was a recurring character who come in you know four to six times seven times a year and out of 24 episodes so um basically heart of dixie from 2012 i think through 2016 and now virgin river are the two series that i've really ever been on the only two and uh, that have lasted and, and that were fulfilling. And, and uh, at this point in my life, you know, sort of a, a third act, it's, it's wonderful and, and refreshing and, and totally a unique experience for me to even know a little bit ahead of time what, what I'm gonna be doing for the next season. And this is all you ever wanted to do, right? You grew up in Burbank and started acting at, what were we, 10, 11 years old when you first started? Yes, yes. I, you know, I, never occurred to me to do anything else. I just knew I didn't want to be in an office. I couldn't, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing I wanted to do. And, and then 
Um, I, I sought solace when I went to the movies, you know, my parents were getting a divorce. It was kind of messy. And I remember going to the movies and just watching a film back. And you could do that in those days over and over and over. I'd spend, you know, see it two or three times a day. And there was something very sort of consoling about the fact that, Oh, it's the same story. Nothing's changing. It's, you know, there's a foundation there, something I can hold on to. There are no surprises. And, um, I just sort of found myself wishing to be in that world. And the, I remember the first day I ever worked as an actor on film, I was in a show called a Window on Main Street that Robert Young starred in just after Father Knows Best, shot in black and white. And I came on this opulent suite from a hotel in, in this little town where this writer stayed. And, um, there was a gorgeous marble fireplace, which I mean, and I was a poor kid from Burbank. So we didn't, you know, it's like, wow, this is so amazing. And I walked up to touch the marble and I went, it's plywood. Oh my God. <laughs> and with contact paper on it, look like marble. That's not real marble. And I was like, oh my God, everything I've ever seen on the screen is a lie. <laughs> and I went, that's great. I mean, that is great because it doesn't have to be real. It just has to look real for that long. So it was um, a great lesson for me and, a, and a actually a very, you know, funny moment that uh, uh, it, it didn't dash my hopes. It just sort of invigorated me. We had Barry Livingston on with us a while back uh, uh, yeah. and, and you appeared on My Three Sons. And am I right that, that your character maybe stretched the truth a little bit and claimed that Tramp had bit you? Yes. I, I mean, I, those are the kind of good roles that I get when I was a kid. It was a kid who his life wasn't as good as, you know, um, Chip and his brothers and, and you know, the, the McMurray family. So I lied and said that their dog had bitten me because Tramp was like the dog everybody wanted. You know, he's a big old clumpy dog, you know. So, um, and... Would, and I think I broke down on the stand and, you know, in tears and said, I cried, you know, I cried and I just said, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, but it, it, it was, um, it was great. Cause I got to work with all those wonderful actors and, and Barry and, and uh, Stanley, his brother and, um, you know, and Fred McMurray and uh, the first season I did one, uh, Bill Frawley was there, William Frawley from uh, Lucy, who was, you know, it was like Fred Merce. <laughs> I love Lucy. And then you did, uh, and we talked about it a little bit, uh, as a young guy, uh, you came on to the final season of Bonanza, and that mm -hmm. thing had been on, on the air for 10, 11 years at that time. Stepping into that show with all those actors who had become iconic at that point, was that a little intimidating, even though you'd been in the business a while? Yes, it was very intimidating. And I made, uh, um, you know, I, I like to say about my career, I made every mistake you could make. And my, my goal, though, was not to make them twice. And at that point uh, of my career, I had been in the Virginian, I had, which was a 90-minute Western. Mm. And then I did two Movie of the Week's pilots for a, another Western series called Lock, Stock, and Barrel. And then the sequel to that was Hitched with Sally Field and I. And then... I was cast in, in Bonanza and I didn't know how to 
really handle myself by going into a show like that with all those intimidating people and extremely talented Michael Landon, uh, who wrote the shows and directed the shows and started the shows. And just, you know, it was very intimidating. And I made the mistake of mouthing off at a luncheon where TV Guide was interviewing us. And, and I just said, yeah, you know, shows like Bonanza, they're sort of past their prime. And uh, it's time for a new kind of Western, you know, um, thinking maybe of Eastwood's films or whatever. And Michael Landon was furious when it was printed, you know, that I was that disloyal. And um, we had a real heart to heart. And he, you know, he spanked me um, verbally. And so I learned a great deal um, from him and from that experience of how to comport oneself when you're talking to the press. It's not confession. It's you're just, you're promoting your show, you're trying to help. And and then you can talk personally about your things, but but backstage stories, you know, should stay backstage. Not long after we talked the last time, I, I was surfing the dial one night and all of a sudden, up you and Jamie Widows popped on the Goldbergs oh. with a with a great cameo. That was terrific. That was so fun. We you know uh, we got to reprise our characters uh, um, Hoover and Otter from Animal House. And I've known Jamie for years. Um, we've both been directors in Hollywood, and Jamie's a very successful mm. comedy director and uh, Two and a Half Men, and and uh, you know a variety of those shows, and. Um, so when we got a chance to work together, and it was just one day, we popped in and out. <laughs> I was coming down from uh, Virgin River up in, in Vancouver for the day, and it was uh, it was it was quite a fun and refreshing to to put on uh, that old suit of that character and and uh, Eric Stratton, Rush Chairman, and um, and to play that again, you know, and because it's interesting the the thought process, the experiences you have as a character in a in a film are very real, you know? If you play a scene where you have these emotional responses to something or someone, that's that's part of it. Your mind doesn't know that it was acting. It was just, that's still real. So when, when I'm there with Jamie in that situation, it was all, all these feelings and emotions and memories came up of the time when we were in, in Eugene, Oregon, shooting uh, Animal House. 45 years ago this fall, you guys were there. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's right. Well, it's remarkable, too. You, you think about that, and you guys were all young at the time, but you and, and Jamie have been working nonstop. Bruce McGill is everywhere. Kevin Bacon, uh, all of you guys. I mean, that was a that was a pretty power-packed lineup of talent. Yeah, you know, it was, I remember the first night we got into town, into Eugene, and they brought the, um, the Deltas, up, uh, our fraternity, up early so we could spend a week together and get to know each other and get comfortable with each other. And Belushi comes in and with his wife, Judy and, and uh, John Landis and his wife, Deborah Dulman, the costumer was there and all our cast, all the, the Deltas. And I just looked at this table and I went, wow, you know, these are fine actors. And not only are they funny or whatever, but they're all very, very good actors. And I was uh, it, it, later, John Belushi mentioned to me, he said, I was a little intimidated because he didn't really consider himself an actor. I mean, he, although he was a fine, fine actor, and he was probably just being kind. But he said it was he was intimidated by the stature of, of this cast, and he just wanted to make sure he rose to that level. And that was very nice of him. Uh, and and he, he became 
a, a supporter and a good friend of mine and you know was was very helpful to me because it was my first comedy i never That's right. played anything like a kind i didn't know and i didn't you know and the, the the danger i think that actors can fall into is is winking at the audience or mugging or trying to be too funny or trying to be funny and i think that's one of the things you learn in improv it's funny will happen you know it's the audience's job to figure out what's funny you know yeah um there's a sensibility to it and a tone in your work but funny and, and a good script will take care of itself you don't have to help it and and uh, and john belushi was very supportive of me in that regard because i was green as you could be in that regard <laughs> we had mark metcalf on and he was he was talking about how and i guess it was a choice the actors made to uh set the boundaries right away between the two houses and that even uh, even when the cameras weren't rolling, it was not one big happy family. I remember the time, and it was all with good fun, but I remember the first time Metcalf, like, so they, all the Deltas had been there for a week rehearsing and, you know, going and finding our fraternity house and helping decorate the set and paint and do stuff. And, and we looked at the death mobile being built. And <laughs> so we so, and, and got our hair cut together. We all got our haircut together um, and voted on whether whose haircut should be this way or that way. And um, we were all, I think on that following maybe Saturday or Monday, I'm not sure. We were in the um, the restaurant for the hotel. We were seeing the roadway in out, way outside of town and in comes Metcalf, who he'd flown in and he'd gotten off the plane and they drove him in and he heard the director was in, in the, uh, in the restaurant. So he comes in and when we, and we were all seated at a table with John Landis, the director. And as soon as we saw him, we just, boo! <laughs> <laughs> audibly 12 people or 10 people just drowned the room in his boos and hisses. And it, it, we just did it to be funny, you know, and it, but it, it basically juxtaposed the, the tensions and competition between those two fraternities <laughs> And certainly, oh, Metcalf, you know, I mean, I don't know if he told you the story about hearing the party in the room beneath <laughs> yeah, him. Downstairs, right? Yeah. He's polishing his boots, just getting so angry at us. It was, <laughs> it was wonderful. That's a good act. <laughs> Tim Matheson with us on Downtown. All right, it's your third time on with us, Tim. Uh, we've only done this with one other guest, and that was Brian Cranston on his third appearance. Oh, my gosh, thank you. Would thank you, you be willing to play Over a little? Uh, yeah. Would you be willing to play a little game with us? I'll try it. Sure. All right. It's uh, we don't even have a name for it. I guess we'll call it we'll call it name that television show or film. I'm going to give you a character from your long career. And can you name either the film or the television show? Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, let's start with this one. Alan Stanwyck. Fletch. Boom. One of my favorites. One of my favorites working with Chevy and the director, Michael Ritchie. It was just then a great script and Wonderful experience to do that movie. All right, that was easy. You're one for one. All right, let's try this one. I know you'll get this. Captain Loomis Burkhead. Oh, 1941, Steven Spielberg movie. Uh, um, one of my favorite uh, favorite names, Loomis Burkhead. I mean, it's <laughs> like, I let that name just do the, the comedic work for me. All right, this one, we have to go back a little ways. Mike Harmon. Mike Harmon. Um I know that, uh, um, and it seems like it was a long time ago. Very early in your career. 
Gosh, I, I, I could be, I think I'm wrong, but it, leave it to Beaver. I'm not sure. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're three for three. Uh, oh, this is a, a more recent one. Dave Malone. Oh, uh, um, on on uh, This Is Us. Yes. Four for four. Oh. All right. All right, now, Brian Cranston went four for five, so you can beat him if you can get this one. Stand back, Brian. <laughs> Lieutenant Bill Wyland. Lieutenant Bill Wyland. Television show. 70s. Oh, I would say... Um, maybe I'll be, uh, uh, Kung Fu. You are absolutely correct. Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was a crazy episode. I got to tell you, working with David Carradine when he was doing Kung Fu, it was just, it was a treat and an, and, and an education. Five for five. Uh, can, when I, when I take a look at all of your credits on IMDB, the fact that you're able to nail all five of them is pretty impressive. Wow, well, you helped, and that was that was that was a lot of fun. That's great. <laughs> well, uh, Tim, we're so excited to to see you having this great success on Virgin River. It's a terrific show. The new season uh, drops on Netflix on July twentieth and uh, is ready to to blow the doors off streaming video uh, once again. Congratulations uh, on the great success. Good luck uh, in shooting season five. Uh, and as always, thank you so much for for being with us today. Thank you, Rich. Thanks so much. It's great to talk to you. Tim Matheson, good sport and, uh, well, knows his career pretty well. Five for five and uh, naming those shows or movies through the years. We'll take a break after this. We're back with John Davidson here on Down. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Something in the way she moves Attracts me like no other lover that's uh, our friend John Davidson on the Ed Sullivan Show back in the day. Yeah, John, too, has been doing it for a long, long time, but he's still great, loves entertaining, performing for audiences, and he does it now at his own performance venue in Sandwich, New Hampshire, called Club Sandwich. And we visited with John to talk about the coming season at his place and uh, listen to some of the new music he's been working on as well. Here's John Davidson on downtown i am here i'm in rehearsal for club sandwich which opens two weeks from tonight and i am so excited i wish you came to my down to club sandwich in sandwich new hampshire last year and uh i i, I sang a song to you and it was exciting it was but i was gonna i thought we we're gonna do zoom so we could see each other uh, are you dressed uh well i am now because we're not doing zoom and we can try to do zoom if you want to try to multitask and and figure out how to make that work but <laughs> but yours is a radio show it's not a zoom show that's true that's true you sound just the same whether it's zoom or over the telephone i was thinking about this john before we uh, connected with you i was looking back the first time you were on with us was just a little bit more than three years ago and uh this is the this is the dozenth 
time, 12 times that you've been on with us in just those three years, you've become part of our little downtown family. Well, I, I would like that very much. I, I, I told you before, I used to go up and visit my crazy aunt Flossie who lived in, um, uh, in, uh, up above Bangor over in Dover, near Dover Foxcroft. Right, Charleston, in, uh, right? In Charleston. And I waited every summer. I brought my, my hoss up there one summer. I, I had a hoss back there. I lived in West Bridgewater, Mass. And I put my hoss in a trailer and, and brought the hoss up to, to, uh, to that city that you just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> the Charleston. The Charleston. Charleston. Because the Higgins Institute is there, and that's one of my mother's relatives. But anyway, I can't beat it, but I can sing you. I, I've got two new songs that I'm putting in my show. Can I sing you a little bit of them? Absolutely. Now, did you write these on the boat? Yes. I've been living on my boat with my son in Mexico for the last six months. I'm going to do that every year now. I, I love my son so much, and he's married to a Mexicana. His wife is Claudia. And, and my granddaughters there, who are bilingual, uh, Camila and Hannah in La Paz, Mexico, which is right near Cabo San Lucas. So I bought a boat. Uh, it's a 42-foot diesel trawler. Uh, I have been a boater. My last boat I, I brought from L.A. to Florida through the Panama Canal. So I'm, I am a boater. I've lived in a marina before. And uh, I went down and just lived on my boat and just wrote songs because I closed the first season of Club Sandwich in uh, October, November. And then I had six months off, so that's what I did. Well, it's wonderful. And uh, the pictures uh, that you posted to uh, the Facebook page were great. It looked like a, an absolutely beautiful time and a productive time since you, you came up with some new music. I did. I've never had a sing-along. I wrote a sing-along. And it goes out to all the Rick Kimball fans. <laughs> Here's a little song I love to tell you. You're an empty note, and every single word I swear is true. I made it just a simple song so everyone can sing along. They don't know I'm saying I love you. It's a symphony no one knows but you and me. They all think we're nothing more than friends. Get me the melody, song of love for you and me. Open that our friendship ever ends. Sing it with me. <laughs> Oh, we are. Hello, Bangor. And it goes along. It's a silly, that's a silly song. But I like it. Singing? I was singing, I was humming, my feet were tapping. I felt like I was right there at Club Sandwich eating the now free popcorn. Yeah, right. Well, I, I don't know whether it's actually going to be free. I, You know what? I made a big stink about that. I, I did a video saying the popcorn is going to be free this year. And then someone said to me, if you give something away, if you say it's free, then they don't. nobody values it. So I'm actually going to rescind my offer of that. I'm going to make it a donation. I'm going to donate to something. I've got to figure out what to donate to. <laughs> I don't know what. 
But I got to make it have some value, or just everybody will say, "Well, what the hell? Let's get a free popcorn," and you know, it's, it's not worth anything. Well, I'll, I'll pay so, for my popcorn. And I got to say, we had such a good time when uh, Carrie and I came down to see your show. Yeah. It is such a wonderful venue, uh, a great intimate setting. But uh, man, there's some production value. Uh, you, you got the great videos that you work in, and of course, we get to see you on a swing, which is pretty awesome too. <laughs> everybody said John Davidson doesn't swing. I do now. I wrote it. Here's the other song I wrote, and uh, this will make more sense to you. But uh, yeah, a... spent one night with an old guy. And this is for you, Rich. Spend one night with an old guy. And never go back to the boys. Spend one night with an old guy. Let the little boys go play with their toys. I'm talking about a guy who can slow down. Turn your hot flashes into chills. You might need a break from his passion. You might need to hide his little pills. Don't you worry about your reputation. He'll never tell how you drove him insane. He won't remember the things that you did. Hell, he won't remember your name. (laughs) Spend one night with an old guy, and you never go back to the boys. I got a lot more verses to it, but I... I know you have to do commercials from time to time, and I don't want to run. No, 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 no. You got all the time you need. You're John Davidson, damn it. You take all the time you want. Okay. (laughs) Second verse. Uh, He'll play Johnny Mathis on his (laughs) A-track. His lava lamp will glow all through the night. He'll say you're the prettiest girl in the world, Horse. He's probably losing his sight. <laughs> but who cares if it makes you feel special? Uh, uh, but he's got more surprises ahead. You won't have to go home to meet his parents. There's a pretty good chance they're dead. <laughs> Spend one night with an old guy. And you never go back to the boys. Big finish. Now you might. You never find a guy more grateful. I mean, it's not like they're beating down his door. And next morning, he'll have no job to dash off to. He can stick around a little bit and fix that broken window pane. Maybe, uh... Fix that squeaky cabinet kitchen door or put a screw in that wobbly chair. Anything else around the house that needs a little bit of love and care? You mean your dandy, randy, candy man, and you never go back to the point. <laughs> that is inspiring, John. I love that. You're easily inspired. I'm going to put on my orthopedic shoes and sit on the edge of my waterbed and listen to that. <laughs> anyway, a lot of lot of crazy new songs. And uh, then I'm also singing a, a great song. I didn't write it, but it's about Elvis. You know, there's a big Elvis picture coming out this summer, right? Mm. Called Elvis. And so I've got a song called Gal- Galway to Graceland about a, a lady 
who packs her bag and goes to Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee, of course, and then sits by Elvis's graveside. And finally, they drag away. They drag her away in handcuffs. But it's uh, so I'm doing a thing about Elvis that way. Now, did you ever um, did you ever encounter Elvis uh, in Vegas or, or? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, twice. Uh, he came to see my show, but both in Las Vegas. That was our connection. I used to play. I used to play Las Vegas when I was young. It was uh, in the 1920s, and uh, I, El, Elvis was playing across town, but he hadn't opened yet. So he came to see my show at the Riviera. Uh, he was dressed all in black. This was when, during the days when he was real slim. And he came backstage after the show, and I said, "Elvis, thanks for coming to the show." And he said, "Well, you know, just, well, just wanted to see you." And uh, he really did. And, and uh, came with a, his buddy from Memphis, I guess. And he said, "Do you have a bathroom?" <laughs> and I, of course, I have a bathroom. And he said, "I need to pee." And so uh, that's—I mean, I, I don't care for what reason he came backstage, but I—I I, I took it that he was just wanting to see me. But I, maybe he was under other pressures. But then uh, the second time, I went to see him at the Hilton Hotel, uh, the main showroom there, and uh, I went backstage, and and he was great. He introduced me to to all the ladies that were there. There were a lot of ladies sitting around the dressing room. But his dad was there as well. I think his name was Vernon. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that was exciting. And, and to meet Elvis, he's a, just a very, just a really nice guy. He's a, a country boy, you know, and uh, uh, just uh, got overwhelmed with what happened mm-hmm. to him and, you know, got into some crazy stuff. But, but deep down, he's a big hearted uh, country boy and just a really nice guy. I think we all miss him. And so I'm just, uh, Oh, she dressed in the dark, and she whispered amen. She was pretty and pink, like a young girl again. Twenty years married, and she never thought twice. She picked up her bag and walked into the night, and the silver wings carried her far uh, uh, over the sea. From the west coast of Ireland to West Tennessee, just to be with her sweetheart, she left everything. She come from Galway to Galway to Graceland to be with the king, singing la 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 John Davidson with us here on Downtown. We were talking about you just a couple of weeks ago, John, with Kelly Carlin, George Carlin's daughter. She was on with us to talk about the wonderful documentary, and it was so great to see you on there uh, doing the Craft Music Hall. Yeah, Rich, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, Kelly's such a nice gal, and and, uh, um, it was a great tribute to to her dad, George Carlin. And I worked with George, of course, you know, uh, back in the 60s when when he uh, hadn't, he was, he was going towards being just a revolutionary comedian and, and uh, an activist, really, for, for, uh, for uh, getting us all together. And uh, so it was an interesting time to work with him. And, and uh, I learned a lot from him. I didn't. Uh, he and Richie Pryor were on that show. And it was, um, it was an eye-opener to me because I was very square. I was, I was raised in a very conservative family. And, and so George... Uh, but he let me in on all that, you know. He didn't try to sell me any grass or. <laughs> uh, he and Richie were smoking a lot of weird stuff, 
and I wasn't. And uh, I was very square, but he he uh, he welcomed me into all that in a very nice way. Just just a really nice man. Yeah. I also saw a clip from uh, I'm not sure what year it was, but uh, a production of the Fantastics that you were in. Yeah, uh, that's the uh, that's the girl boy romance uh, self discovery show. Of course, that that played off Broadway for years. I think it's the longest running closed now, but longest running show. And I played the original uh, the in the television version. Right, play the original Broadway. But in the television version in 1965, I played Matt, the boy, to Susan Watson's girl, and Ricardo Montalban, mm. El Gallo, and my father in the show was Bert Lahr, and her father was Stanley Holloway, the guy from I'm Getting Married in the Morning, you know, from uh, My Fair Lady. It was That was uh, one of my first things I did on television, and I, I have a copy of that now, and it's just so weird to... To look back, that's the trouble with all the uh, uh, video and and all the uh, face all the uh, Facebook stuff. You can see, man, Instagram and what are you? I, I see video of me from fifty years ago when I was getting started, and I I turned eighty. I turned eighty last December, and um, and uh, I have a lot to look back to and, and to be proud of. I was, I was proud of most of it. Also, saw a much more recent picture of you. Uh, hanging out with the great Marsha Ball. Oh, man. Marsha Ball just destroyed a room called the Farm Stand in uh, Chicorua, New Hampshire. Marsha Ball, is, 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 is she's she's in her 70s now. She's not as old as I am, but she is rocking it and doing it. Had an incredible band. You know, she played the Farm Stand. If anybody comes down this way, please visit the Farm Stand as well. She She was so good. And then the next night, um, Kimball Packard, who, who uh, runs the farm stand with his wife, Nisa, they invited me over to dinner. So I had dinner with Marsha Ball and her band. Oh, they were just, they were great. They they loved my uh, Spend One Night with an Old Guy song a lot. They thought that was really <laughs> I bless the day I found you. I want to stay around you now and for always. Let it be me. It's an old uh, Everly Brothers tune. I don't think they wrote it, but they certainly sang the heck out of it. So we did that as a duet, and uh, it was really fun. She, she's, uh, she's a great lady, and uh, but man, can she rock it. She just destroyed that room. We were... We jumped to our feet, and she was getting cheers, cheers for almost after almost every song. Right. Well, let's talk about Club Sandwich. You open on the twenty fourth. Now your your opening night show is already sold out. Yeah, well, Friday sold out. Saturday is sold out. There are some seats on Sunday. That's the twenty uh, sixth. I've added a Sunday matinee because the Friday and Saturday nights are, seem to be selling out. So, and I'll be there every weekend um, until uh, October second. It's my own club, and so I hired myself. I, I figured, you know, my, I'll give myself a job. <laughs> so, yeah, I sing Fridays and Saturdays at 7, and then Sunday at matinee at 2. But Thursday night, I'm bringing in a, a ton of, of guest performers. It, it's funny you should ask, because I just have to have, I just have to have right in front of me <laughs> my, my list on the, uh, let me see, 
Well, I've, I've got it, too. Well, one of them is uh, our fellow Mainer and a friend of our show, the wonderful Ellis Paul. Ellis Paul is an inc- incredible act, singer-songwriter, yeah. Does he claim, he claims a lot of states as his state. Does he claim he's a Mainer? Well, he grew up uh, up in, in Presque Isle, Maine. Okay, okay. But now he lives in Virginia or someplace. Uh, right, I think his wife is from down that way, and he's, he's down there, but we still claim him. Oh, you should. You should. Uh, yeah, uh, Ellis Paul is coming. Patty Larkin is coming oh. on July 28th. Um, a, an amazing guitar player. I always have trouble with it. Hiroya Chikamoto is incredible. He, he, I think Japanese. He's certainly Asian. I've only seen him on video. That's how I, I, I bought him. But uh, he's coming. He's just incredible. Andriana. Uh, the wonderful uh, lady of, uh, of uh, Ukrainian heritage is performing with the International String Trio. We, we got some class coming here. I've also seen uh, the Heather Pearson duo. I've seen them before uh, up here. Yeah. They are phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. We were lucky to get them. We almost didn't get them because they, they, uh, they have a very full schedule. Yeah, the Heather Pearson Trio. Uh, Vance Gilbert is coming back. Um, Zoe, Zoe Lewis. I've only seen Philip. She's a wonderfully crazy uh, uh, singer-songwriter. She's coming in September. Who else? Um, uh, Katie Katie O'Connell is coming. Uh, She sold out. Karen Morgan, the comedian. Karen Morgan, lovely lady. Very Uh, funny. It's family, family stuff. Don't be worried that that your your, uh, relatives will be, you know, whatever. Karen Morgan, yeah. But we're starting off with a magician. I've never had a magician at Club Sandwich. Uh, B.J. Hickman is a very entertaining, very funny, and he's going to teach people how to do magic after his show. Uh, he's on uh, June the uh, June the thirtieth. Is is the magician B.J. Hickman? So it's going to be a wonderful summer, and I hope everybody will come down from Maine. Come on down. Absolutely. You can go to John's website, JohnDavidson.com. For more information, links there to buy tickets, whether it's to see John or any of the great guests, I, I promise you, you'll have an amazing time if you make your way to Club Sandwich down in Sandwich, New Hampshire. It's a beautiful town. If you're coming from Maine, the ride is absolutely breathtaking. And if you get to see John, well, that's that's like twice as good because I don't care, uh, 80 years old, going on 35, you still sound absolutely awesome. John, thank you so much. That was wonderful. All right. Thanks for talking to me. As always, we'll see you in Sandwich this summer, John. Okay, I got to get up to Maine. Thanks, Rich. He's just one of our favorite people to talk with, John Davidson, joining us on Downtown the Podcast. Our thanks to John. Thanks to the great Tim Matheson. And, of course, thanks to you for listening this week. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Leave a good review if you haven't already. And uh, join us next week for the next edition of Downtown 
the podcast.